Hello, and welcome to Race to Finish, a Doctor Who Big Finish podcast. I'm David. And I'm Carrick. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the apocalypse element. Yeah. Side note, uh, we have kind of reached the end of an era in recent weeks because this month, the end of the beginning, the last ever release to come out of the Big Finish monthly range was, well, released. So... We are now covering the early years of a dead range. <laughs> yes, this is, I think, the first episode that we're recording uh, with it having ended, which is very odd to think about. Yes. So no longer the main range. <laughs> mm. You gave us so much joy and so much frustration. And so many audios. So, so many. 275. I was surprised they didn't push into around 300. Anyway, The Apocalypse Element, written by Stephen Cole, directed by Nicholas Briggs, music and sound design by Nicholas Briggs, and recording by Alastair Locke. Now, we introduced Stephen Cole in The Land of the Dead, and harsh words were said, but I, for one, am going to be much kinder today, because I assume that this was written in more than a week. I mean, it's better than Land of the Dead, but honestly, that's not saying much. I, I don't like this. Anyway, part <laughs> two all. of the Dalek Empire main range audios, which have almost nothing to do with the Dalek Empire spin-off audios, but the last time I tried to clarify this, I rambled for so long it had to be edited out. Yeah, sorry about that. There was just... I wanted to keep that episode short, because that was just so bad. This is... I mean, this is better than the genocide machine, and I also feel like we could go on for longer about this if we chose to, because there's... It's a very long audio, oh. and there's also just a lot in it. Oh, yeah. It is very long. Like, nearly two hours twenty. Like, there's even a joke in the author's notes about the glares he got when he dropped the longest script they'd had so far, as well as the largest cast into their laps. So... This is the third uh, Sixth Doctor and Evelyn story, probably their weakest so far in my mind, at least in terms of the writing for them as a duo. Uh, it's the second appearance of the Daleks, the first appearance of Romana in a Big Finish audio, and it also introduces a couple races that will be important in the Gallifrey spinoff. Yeah, I don't know how intentional it was at the time, but a great deal of this feels like it's set up for the Gallifrey audios. Like, it introduces a new status quo where the Time Lords are no longer the sole power with time travel in the universe, and Romana is president, well, kind of, and like, you know, there's like the Monan House, the Nikistani, the Warpsmiths of Fiden, the something of somethings. <sighs> yeah. Uh, we also... Um, have the return of Anthony Keach's coordinator Vansell and Michael Wade's Lord President from the Sirens of Time. Uh, we didn't really talk about them when we did the Sirens of Time because they were basically a glorified framing device. They're, they actually play a bit more of a role in the plot here. Uh, to get an idea of what Vansell is like, he's basically a proto-Narvin from Gallifrey, but more amoral and without the Tumblr fandom. Yeah, he's very Narvan-esque. Narvan is way nicer than Vansel. <laughs> I suppose. I mean, Vansel just seems like a pretty generic character by this point. He's just a stand-in for Time Lord Society as a whole. Oh, 100%. Someone for the Doctor to butt heads with. It's not... Narvan's a bit more interesting than that. <laughs> yeah, anyway, non-spoilers. Um, so this is one of my favorite portrayals of the Daleks. That might seem a bit weird, but... Okay, just bear in mind that when I would have first listened to this audio... I had kind of come to it after a 
bit of a deluge of Dalek stories, like, on and off screen that I wasn't really that interested in. And when I listened to this one, it was like, oh, they actually come across as a serious threat for the entire thing. It's like, that is no mean feat. One nice thing I will say about this is that it certainly makes the Daleks feel like a legitimate threat. That's like the one thing about this that I really like. Like, I feel like I'm throwing a lot of shade at it and making currently. Um, my own thoughts, I guess I should go into them, is that this is a very overlong script that is way too dense and goes on for forever and is very hard to care about or pay attention to. It's very dark, and that's the one thing I can appreciate about it, but it's otherwise kind of not that interesting. I want to like bring up a quote. Um, it's from Russell T. Davies. It's something that I think he said very early on when they were planning Series 1 of New Who. Uh, it was so- I'm going to paraphrase it. It was something like, oh, if the people of the planet Zog are being threatened by the Zog monster, I'm not going to care very much. But if I include something that's a little more human in the script, uh, I will have uh, the audience will care more about it. Now, I don't think that's generally true, but like the Sirens of Time, this story makes a good case for why he's right. In that it's... Some really epic stuff happens in this, but it it's hard to really feel any attachment to it, with the exception of a few scenes with Romana, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um... As I, as I said on the non-spoilers, it's uh, it's like, yeah, this is very good at getting a sense of threat, like, and also the lengths the Daleks will go to when they're in a desperate situation. They will self-destruct to remove obstacles. They, like, climb out of their armor to attack in zero gravity. They rip someone's eyes out at one point. It's, uh... Ugh. Also, I just love, like, uh, the Doctor's line. It's like, we had a run-in with some Dalek mutants, the very essence of putrescence. Try saying that when you're drunk. Yes, Colin Baker's amazing in this. Oh, I will say yeah. that. Colin Baker and Arla Ward are the highlights of this. <laughs> like, Roman is introduced with, well, reintroduced with this very grim monologue in episode two, and Lala Ward's performance is so, so good. It's, uh, and it only gets better from there. Like, <laughs> I have a few issues with the context of that monologue, but. Yeah, um, besides that, I feel like, well, we've given our basic thoughts. Yeah. My one other thing that I didn't outright say in my thoughts was just that there's a lot of techno babble in this to an extent that's obnoxious. Oh, God, yes. Like, the techno babble factor in the story is about 100 trillion. I think that was another review of that. Um, like, yeah. Uh, what else have I gotten on spoilers? Um, it's weird that the Black Dalek calls itself the Black Dalek. Like, wouldn't it call itself a Dalek Supreme or something? Um, I guess that's so we know that it's black. I guess. Okay, let's do... Um, So this is a story I really like. I think um, the Daleks manage to come across as threatening. It's got one of my favorite Lala Ward performances. It is a bit long, and the Technobabble is too much. But you know what? I'd still recommend it for someone who likes Dalek action or something. I just think that um, Dalek action doesn't really work that well on audio. There are sections of this where I'm not entirely sure what's happening. I mean, I can get the vague idea, but there's too much action for me to fully grasp. 
I more or less make an exception for this one. Like, I'd give it a 7 or an 8 out of 10. Like, I'm being very kind today. Anyway, let's spoilers, yeah. Yeah. Yes, spoilers. Okay. I don't know where to begin, because there's there's a lot in this. Uh, you know what? I, know, I do know where I'm going to begin, actually. And so I'm going to bring back uh, my point about writing stories, because I have I think I've said in the past, I've definitely said this on Twitter, I don't remember if I said it on the show or on the podcast here, um, but I am very much for Doctor Who going to, like, exotic locations and doing stuff with a lot of aliens and things. The thing is, is that it can be a little difficult sometimes if a writer doesn't do it properly, and I don't think that this does it properly. There's only one human character in this, and it's Evelyn, uh, who, I mean, I have thoughts on her portrayal in this, but besides her, it's just non-humans running around. The universe is going to end, which is pretty big, but it's hard to care about because none of the characters, with the exception of Romana, are really ones who you're able to connect to. I kind of want, like, I think you could do an action-adventure story without it feeling so dense and impenetrable. I don't care about any of these, any of the supporting characters. I don't care about what's going to happen to them. The only thing that's there to care about is the fact that the Daleks are going to destroy the universe, and the only reason why that feels like a legitimate threat is because Colin Baker does a really good job of making it feel like it's a legitimate threat in the last episode. Oh yeah, like his speech, like it's, um, if you reduce the Milky Way to the size of the United States of America, the Earth would barely be a grain of sand. The Serifia Galaxy is four times larger than that, and every second we speak, billions of lives are being lost. It's that kind of thing. Of course, there is a little problem that we haven't actually met anyone from the Serifia Galaxy, so it just kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's still a great acting moment. And there's an issue here where there's just a lot of exposition about stuff like the setup in the first episode is that all these temporal powers have come together because oh god i'm not, I'm not you know what i'm not gonna bother trying to remember the exact details but there's two planets one of them's gone one of them's disappeared uh a planet called itropine the oldest planet in the universe went missing and it's like it had minerals in it that behaved contrary to the laws of physics and it went missing while Romana was there, so Romana's been missing for 20 years, and, like, President Michael Wade has been, like, the interim president because she went missing. We should probably talk about the 20-year thing. Opening monologue is amazing, but my issue is that this 20-year thing doesn't get brought up a whole lot in the future, and there are stories set on Gallifrey which take place after this, and I know that, like, on occasion it does, but it's never really explored outside of it just being this thing that Romana is angry about. I feel like there's a lot more there they could milk, and it's not like the Gallifrey Ring shied away from milking the characters for that kind of, you know, development and examination and things. That was a very weird sentence even for me, I apologize, but you get what I mean. So that kind of bugs me, it just feels like it's hardly ever brought up. I was genuinely surprised when it was brought up in the latest Gallifrey Time War set. So, yeah. I agree with you that it should have been brought up more, but I'm going to use the Thermian argument again. Sorry, kill me for this. But the lifespan of a Time Lord is very, very long. So, like, 20 years 
isn't that long for them. Like, it would still be pretty traumatic given what she goes through in that time. But I can kind of believe that it maybe wouldn't weigh down on her as much as it would on a human. Uh, see, I don't buy that because it clearly does weigh down on her a bit. There's a scene in one Gallifrey audio, according to you at least, where she's torturing a Dalek and it comes up. And then there's, of course, the Time War stuff I mentioned earlier. So I don't buy that even from a Thermian perspective. Speaking of the Time War, it's probably not surprising that this story got like retroactively categorized as one of the early salvos of the Time Lord, because, yeah, halfway through, the Daleks invade Gallifrey. <laughs> and then they set fire yeah, to the universe. It's... Yeah, that's why they were like mining yeah, this yeah. oldest planet in the universe thing. They wanted to get this element that would like destroy everything. Yeah, I will say one thing that did kind of amuse me, and I maybe I maybe I read a little too much into it, but in episode one, it's mentioned because the planet that they're mining is the one that disappeared. Uh, someone on like the base where all the temporal powers are meeting says that it's appeared and it seems to be moving towards them, which. I found amusing just because it's it's probably a reference to the Dalek invasion of Earth story where they attempted to turn Earth into a spaceship. <laughs> maybe it was a reference to that, or maybe they just really liked the idea of crashing a planet into another planet. Yeah, one or the other. Because that is what ends up happening. They smash Itra Prime into Architrix. No, I just remember, like, speak Architrix. Like, I remember you were talking about the supporting cast, and... A weird thing about this cast is that one reason it's so big is that most of the characters in it are actually pre-existing. Like, I mentioned that Van Cell and President What's-His-Face, they never say his name, so I just call him President Michael Wade. Um, <laughs> they were in Sirens of Time. Obviously, Romana was on TV. Evelyn's been in two previous audios by this point. The Doctor's here, too. And they're like most of the cast. And then you've also got the Daleks, who are again still Nicholas Briggs and Alice Locke. Sorry, I'm lisping a lot right now. I'm not sure why. Um, You're fine. The only real supporting characters are like one or two people from Architrix, and the only one of them who makes any kind of impact is Plinkett. And I'm betting you don't even know who Trinket. I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Trinket. Her name's Trinket. Oh, well done. You actually knew better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> She also hooks up with, like, some Gallifrey and Castellan at the end with very little foreshadowing, which I'm not sure if that's terrible or if that's a reference to the end of the Invasion of Time. Yes, it's Trinket. It can be both. Sorry, I'm going, I'm going through the spoiler section, and, yep, I've talked about the Technobabble, and, um... I've talked about the whole planet-smashing thing and setting fire to the universe, because like, I do like the escalation there, alongside invading Gallifrey. Here, again, the Daleks feel like a serious threat. Although, I've also gone like, when you break down what happens, the entire first half is basically a convoluted attempt to bring down some force fields, while episodes three and four are a convoluted attempt to raise force fields. The jump from the base to Gallifrey, I'm not going to say it's jarring, but it does feel a little weird. Architrix to I'm Gallifrey. I'm not going to describe what I mean. Yeah. Architrix. To, I thought I thought the story was set on like a like a space station or something. No, it's set on Architrix. <laughs> My mistake. Uh, yeah. No, don't worry, you sometimes... The audio medium can be so deceptive. 
Okay, I feel like bad for referencing the Wormery, because now we just want to listen to the Wormery. <laughs> yes, instead of listening to this, go listen to the Wormery. <laughs> We're not doing what we did with Red Dawn. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about the way Evelyn is written. Okay, I have... I'm kind of two minds on this, because... It's very weird how she's written in that... She kind of spends a lot of it just kind of cracking jokes. And it starts before things start to even go to shit. Like, before the Daleks show up and anything bad's happening. That's fine. It's uh, it's the fact she continues doing yes, it. Yes, see, I can actually buy her, like, acting the way she does in the first episode just because this is the first time we've seen her interact with aliens. It could be her first time in this kind of setting. A few times we've seen her interact with, like, anything kind of alien in the past she's always seemed kind of like delighted by it like at the end of um the specter of onion more she's like oh my first spaceship it's, it's very endearing there's also a great line in episode one where she's like excuse me primitive earth woman coming through i that was a terrible delivery of it but it, it's better when maggie stables gives it <laughs> i say like, we'll meet you in eve Evelyn, we'll meet you in five minutes. I say, is that space minutes or good old-fashioned Earth minutes? The Daleks show up, and things go to shit, and she's still, like, cracking jokes. I, I'm assuming the idea is that, like, she's doing it to, like, cope. But it doesn't feel like she's doing it to cope. It just feels like it's coming from nowhere. Yeah, nothing in the performance or dialogue indicates that that's what's going on. If that was the intent, it is communicated very badly. It's like, even after she gets paralyzed by them, she's still making jokes. Like, paralyzed by the Daleks. It's like, at the climax, it's the Eye of Harmony. Imagine it with a bit of mascara. <laughs> okay, there's a, um, there's... You, you quoted Russell T. Davies. Well, I'm going to... Go a bit lower down. I'm going to quote an adage from James right. Goss. Um, I, and this was like when he was writing um, the first Sylvia Noble audio, Wild Pastures. It's a, never make a joke at the expense of the scene. That keeps happening in this. If you make a joke at an inappropriate moment, it diffuses the tension. Which, given how normally pretty good the story is at keeping the tension, is a... Uh, um, Chick's notes, not good. <laughs> yes, it feels like she's in a completely different story. I feel like this is what the interior designer from Land of the Dead would have been like had that story actually been good at building tension. It's just like, why are you acting like this at this point? Why? It's, it's, you're just letting, you're letting the yes, side down, also, sweetie. Like, remember what I was saying before about this being so technobabble heavy? Why isn't shit being explained to Evelyn? I understand that these audios are being made for fans. But I'm a fan and I had a hard time with this. So I can't imagine I'm the only one who ever has. And also, you don't need to have a companion from Earth who's human. But if you are, this is the kind of setting where having them asking a lot of questions and being it like an audience identification point is really helpful. <laughs> and she's not in this at all. I mean, there's a great line from Romana in episode four. It's like, half the technology we've used is nonsense. It's no change there, then. There's some good one-liners in this. I'll grant that. Although there's also some terrible lines, like, Trinket gets one. It's a, uh, we put so much faith in our brilliant shields. And it's, okay, I feel like that line should have been delivered with bitter sarcasm or something, because as it is, it just sounds ridiculous. Also, uh, at one point when Romana 
prepares to like mentally torture a bunch of Daleks and they're like, wait, is she betraying us? Even goes like, oh, has she got like, I don't know, Stockbridge syndrome? And oh, cute, they reference Stockbridge. <laughs> if we somehow cover the entire main range, we'll get to the Stockbridge trilogy at some point. Basically, Stockbridge is a village in from the comics. Back on track. My favorite Romana moment. When Romana's like, seems like she's about to start betray themselves to the Daleks, it's knowledge like this can blow your twisted, filthy little mind. Model Ward is great at playing and like, furious. Oh, yes. I kind, I kind of wish that they'd do a bit more than with her than just have her play furious, but she's great at it. Mm. Yes. You know, I talked about how, like, the Serifia galaxy gets destroyed, but we don't even know what it is until right before it gets destroyed. Like, remember how in Legopolis, like, the destruction of the universe was so oddly calm and inconsequential? They still had the good decency to destroy Traken, because the audience was, like, there last week, well, a few weeks ago, and there's a character, Nyssa, who is from there, so, you know, it has an impact. Like, we, there is a reason to care about this happening. There's, there's kind of no reason to care about the Serifia galaxy getting destroyed, especially since, at the end of the day, it's just setting things up for Dalek Empire. Like, they're going to move into there, and that's where they're going to launch their attack from in Dalek Empire. So, yeah, Romana's promised to look after the place at the end of this. Yeah, well, you <laughs> fucked that up. Sorry, sweetie. Womp, womp, fucking womp. Side note, I just remember something you tweeted. You mentioned that there's a connection between this and the TV movie. Oh, yes. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that there's a bit where the Daleks rip someone's eyes out. Well, the reason they do it is because most of the doors on Gallifrey are retina-controlled. So what the Doctor does is he wipes everyone's information from the system and replaces it with Evelyn's because, well, she's the only human yes. there. Which basically makes Evelyn the only one who has, like, retinal access to everything on Gallifrey. And they also have to use her to open up the Eye of Harmony. And the Doctor's like, hmm, there's probably still going to be lingering effects from that. Maybe don't look at the TARDIS too closely. Oh. And then in the TV movie, there's this very surreal point where you need human eyes to open the Eye of Harmony. Like, you need, it needs a human eye to look into the light. And assuming the Doctor was aware of this as a consequence of this story, that's probably why the Eighth Doctor had, well tried to have human eyes it's like he knew he'd need access to order something which is why the eighth doctor is half human and none of the others are this is my head canon you can't change me on it okay then <laughs> but it is incredibly weird that this ties into the tv movie yes. it's like it is just it is so strange to me and it's like, we have to explain why it is that Gallifreyan technology, for some reason, can only be accessed by humans. And, okay, I kind of get why you want to explain that, because it is a very, very weird thing in the movie. But, at the same time, I feel like this is part of the Doctor Who fans' knee-jerk compulsive urge to explain literally everything, regardless of whether or not it actually needs it. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit strange. I mean, I guess... You know, I'm sure that I don't really have a strong opinion on it just because I didn't even notice it. And like, there's so much weird shit in the TV movie that I just kind of personally choose to ignore for my headcanon. 
<laughs> but cool, I guess. I, I imagine that at the time it was probably like a huge frustration for a lot of fans. So, yeah. Oh, please. I think there were so many huge frustrations in that movie. Honestly, most of them make me laugh. It is a very odd movie. The mushing of, like, like BBC Doctor Who sci-fi stuff with 90s American TV films. It, it, it's so aesthetically bizarre. It's... Um, the apocalypse element. Uh, minor things that I like. Uh, the Doctor makes telepathic contact with Vansel, and he just sounds so resigned when he's about to do it. It's like, oh god, I do not want to be doing this. And then, like, when they do it, you know, it's like the contact, contact. It's like, Trust Time Lords to be the most clinical yes. gossips around. Uh, I like the old president. He he gets a lot more characterization here than he did in Sirens. Like he's he's a tired old guy. He really likes Romana and wants to hand power over to her, but he's also very clearly Gallifreyan old guard. He's something of a xenophobe and kind of bad at making effective decisions, and it ends up getting him killed. It's it's almost sad. Um I like it when Romana says, I am too old and frankly too important to be taking orders from you, Doctor. Um, I've mentioned this, but I do like Colin Baker's performance. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I said I don't really care for how Evelyn is written, but I do like that she does get a substantial role with all the eye stuff. I... Again, the fact it ties into the movie is very strange, but I like that she's important. Oh, and one thing which confuses me, this, um, the story is basically resolved with the Daleks saving the day, and I don't really know how that, how well that reflects on our main characters. It, it's like, they set up this thing, it's like, great, we can stop the fire that'll destroy the universe, but no, there's not enough power, the Daleks burst in and they're like... Okay, we're going to pour our mental energy into it. That'll give you a power boost. And then it turns out the Daleks were like, Aha, this was our contingency. We're going to take over this, like, un now uninhabited galaxy and, and use it as a power base to invade the universe. And I'm explaining all of our plans to you right now, even though I'm dying and I have absolutely no motivation to do so. And it's just going to spur you to try and stop us. Yeah, it is very much one of those, like, villain explains all their plans while they're dying, and have even though they have no reason to do so, in fact. It's the Daleks, they do that kind of shit. Sorry. They're just, they're just kind of stupid that way. It, it, is just, it is kind of funny how well it manages to just go on talking <laughs> while enough. it's supposed to be dying. Yeah. And then it's like, well, since you've told us this, we're going to keep an eye out on the Sorifia galaxy so you can't do what you say you're going to do. But then they do it anyway, because that's how the plot of Dalek Empire happens. <laughs> so what was the point of that, I ask? <laughs> anyway, the apocalypse element. I do, I admit that I enjoy it probably more than I should, because when forced to talk about it, I have to acknowledge what a hot mess it is. <laughs> hot mess. Get it? Because, like, they set the universe on fire and, like fire's hot so it's it's like a hot mess and yeah. fuck fuck you i'm funny <laughs> yeah okay so yeah i'm probably more hesitant to recommend it than i was at this when i started taking my notes on this but um uh 
what the hell, I still enjoy it. Next episode is Fires of Vulcan, which, um... Ooh, that one's gonna be interesting. The next Dalek story is The Mutant Phase, which is significantly weirder than this one. My final thoughts. This is a hot mess. It's impenetrable. It's way too much of an action story for the audio medium, which is saying a lot because Doctor Who is pretty action-oriented as it is. I don't like it. It's a much better use of the Daleks than the genocide machine, which is like the one thing it's got going for it. And it's certainly memorable simply for how big it is in scope and how ambitious it is this early on in the range. But honestly, unless you're like a massive Dalek aficionado, I don't see the point in listening to this. Well, if you're interested in the early history of the Time War, that, Maybe. that also I, might the be a draw. Time War mm-hmm. is a hot mess too, so... And and if you enjoy hearing Lala Ward be bossy and angry, which I, I do not judge. Okay, well, I'm Carrick, and see you next time for The Fires of Vulcan. Yes, thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow Carrick, you can follow him at his Twitter handle, at Carrick of the Ord. If you want to follow me, my car- my I just said I almost said my Carrick. No. If you want to contact me, my Twitter handle is at Deemanity. Or you can follow the podcast's main uh, Twitter handle, which is at RaceWho. You can email us if you want to for longer thoughts at the email address racewho at gmail.com. And I hope you've enjoyed. Bye!